Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Crosspoint Podcast. And please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd love to have you join us in person at 10 a.m. this Sunday at Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can also connect with us online at frbc.com. Thanks again for checking us out and enjoy the episode. Romans chapter number one. Last week we really introduced uh, the series and um, had a lot of uh, extra content today. Um, and really, as we continue working throughout this series, uh, my goal is to continue to have additional content, but uh, really want to just break apart each passage and make it applicable to where you're at. And so Romans chapter number one, uh, verses eight through 17. Now, don't be embarrassed by this question because I didn't say anything about it last week, but how many of you took the time to do the application questions on the back of the handout from last week? Okay, how many of you did it? I was hoping for a little more participation. <laughs> they are on the back of the handout, and uh, so if you want to pick that up and uh, take some time to do this, there's some reading as well. Um, the biggest reason why I do that is just because it. Get, I think sometimes we're really good at being Sunday morning Christians, and I don't think the people in here, like I don't think you go out and live like heathens on Monday through Saturday, but um, it just kind of gives us a chance to drive that truth deeper into our hearts and into our lives, and so if you got, it should only take you about five, ten minutes, uh, maybe even this afternoon, uh, you can uh, knock that out. But um, lesson number two is gospel-given desires. And so let's begin reading in verse number eight, where the Bible says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Um, probably should say y'all if, if we're in the South, but he says for you all, because uh, not there are Christians outside of the South, right? And we all understand that, okay? Um, there are Christians outside the SEC, let's say it like that, uh, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So Paul is really beginning to write his letter. If you really want to look at it like this, he's introducing, uh, he introduces the letter in verses one through seven, but then he begins to really get into the, the crux of what he's wanting to say. And the first thing that he says, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That is a very bold phrase and statement, but uh, I believe that because the Holy Spirit inspired it, it is true. And so Paul is telling them, he says, people are talking about your faith everywhere. Um, everywhere that I go, they talk about the faith of the Christians at Rome. And then he continues, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if by any means now at length I might have you have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. That is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. As I've read and studied uh, this book of Romans, a lot of people will argue over uh, what is the key verse of the book of Romans. And some, some people say it's verse 16. Some people say it's verse 17. Uh, I think they're probably both important. I don't know why we got to boil it down to one verse, okay? Um, they're both equally as inspired. And so let's read verse number 16 and verse number 17 out loud together uh, and just let it sink down deep into our hearts. But verse number 16 and 17, ready, begin. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Some powerful verses, we'll dive into those at the very end. So let's begin talking about gospel-given desires in lesson number two. Let's pray and we'll ask the Lord to help us. Dear Heavenly Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We're reminded of your gospel. Lord, it is such a powerful, powerful message. And yet many times, as we talked even last week, it's easy for us to maybe forget the power that it has in our lives or to see it as something in our rearview mirror rather as something that affects us each and every day. And so, God, I ask you to help me today to properly show how the gospel changes what we desire. Lord, I pray that you give me the words to say. Fill me with your spirit. Empty me of myself. In your name we pray. Amen. A couple years ago, my wife and I, uh, we decided to get uh, at least somewhat serious about our uh, health and our, our eating. And so uh, she had visited a, a doctor here in town and they recommended uh, basically a, uh, this diet plan. Uh, in hindsight, we think that it was a little bit of a sales pitch, but uh, I told her I was going to introduce this and she's like, oh yeah, we got, we got sales pitched on that. But anyways, um, so this doctor was, was selling this product and uh, she was like, oh, it's going to, it'll help you with this. It'll help you with that. And so I remember we ordered it. I believe it was kind of at the first of the year, um, last year, or maybe the year before. But anyways, we ordered it and uh, it, it was, it was pretty expensive. Well, one of the things that it came with was it came with a, what is it called? Morning mix or something like that. It was like this morning. And so it was just this big canister and you open it up and it was green. Like the mix was green, which is already not a great start. Like uh, at least if you're going to make something healthy, like make it blue, like make it appear cheerful or something like that. But it was green. Like it looked like it come straight out of the backyard. And so it smelled weird. And uh, so we were like watching. Well, it also came with these training videos. And so the night before we were supposed to supposed to start it, uh, we were like, let's sit down, let's watch these training videos, and like, it tells you everything, and there's all these little testimonials mixed in, like, like, you know, someone will say, like, oh, like, yeah, you're supposed to drink your morning mix every morning when you wake up, and then there would be, like, it would, like, cut to this testimony, they're like, hear what others are saying about the morning mix, and so uh, they would cut to this person, and they were always super skinny and fit and active and whatever, and it's like, you, you were healthy before you drank that, all right? Like, you don't, you don't fool me, all right? But anyways, they would say, oh, I, can, I know that this is going to be something that changes your life. Like, and I re distinctly remember one person on the little testimonial video was like, I got to the point where my body actually craved the morning mix. And I'm like, that all right okay let's see about that and so so the whole time like we would wake up in the morning we had to put it in this shaker bottle and you're supposed to drink it with just water okay 
I'm sorry, but something that I have to hold my nose to drink and then I gag and shiver afterwards is not something that I think my body's just going to magically start to desire, all right? Like, I don't think my cravings are going to change that much. And the whole point of it was that when your body gets healthy, it begins to crave healthy things. It doesn't begin to crave nasty things is my argument to that, okay? So it may crave something healthy, but fish is healthy, all right? Grilled chicken is healthy. Chick-fil-A grilled chicken is the best grilled chicken there is. Like, I would take that over any, any like, expensive place. Like, Chick-fil-A is pretty expensive, too, though. But anyways, but, like, I'm sorry, but you can change everything about your health, and it still doesn't change the way that you crave something that is gross. And so I remember I was having to wake up in the mornings, and I was having to put blueberries in mine. I was having to, like, try to cover it with orange juice. I was like, I'm going to mix this with every other thing that is unhealthy to make it taste okay. And as you begin to get healthy, it is true that your body does crave healthy things. I don't think it will ever get it so healthy that you crave grass, but that's what that guy said. But the same is true about the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that as it begins to do a work in you, your desires should change. Your cravings, what you want out of this life should be different. What you desire to see accomplished in the lives of others should be different. And Paul, in these first couple of verses, as he begins to really get into the crux of his message, his desires begin to really show. You see, what you have to remember about Paul is that he was someone who had once murdered Christians, and now he's a missionary to Christians. You're talking about someone who once traveled the world to try to shine light on the wickedness of a Christian, of the Christian life, And now he's someone who travels the world sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's completely changed. He's completely going a different direction since that that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so now he is something completely different. And because he is different, please listen to this. His desires and what he wants to see accomplished in the lives of those around him also changes. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 17 is there in your notes. I want you to look at it with me. The Bible says this. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Meaning this, that at some point in your Christian life, what you desire should look different than what you used to desire. I know for many of you, you might have gotten saved at a young age. You might have gotten saved... Uh, when you were in elementary school, you might have been raised in a Christian home. Those are not things that should still dictate whether or not you can change. You see, there's been times in my life, if I'm completely honest, where I would say, I have probably had desires that were not gospel-driven desires. And I've had to step back, and because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and as I get into God's Word, He begins to change those cravings. He begins to change that desire, and He begins to replace it with desires that are from the new man. And the question that we must answer today is, has anything changed in your life as a result of the gospel? If I had you write down, what's ten things that you desire in this life? And if we had to step back and say, let's put those into categories of either, is that an old man desire or is that a new man desire? Is that something that my flesh desires or is that something that the spirit within me desires? 
And as Paul writes this, you begin to see new man desires come out, which leads us to this main idea, and that is this, that the power of the gospel is found in its power to give us new life. The gospel takes our old life and gives us a new one. The gospel takes our old desires and cravings and gives us a desire and craving for the things of God. I'm not sure about you, but over the last couple of years, I think the biggest thing that I've been challenged by with all of the world going to pot around us, with all of the things in politics, with all of the things in the wickedness of the world, with all of the craziness of this society, I think the thing that I have revisited the most in my mind has been this, that I want to see God change me into something that looks very much the opposite of what the world looks. I want God, to, want God to do a work in me. I want when I step on an airplane, rather than being the psycho person who's on video because I got ticked at someone, I want to be someone that when I walk down the aisle of the airplane that they see joy, that they see a peace that passeth all understanding. I want someone to see me in, in moments of difficulty and think, wow, that person is walking with the Lord. I want them to see me not be consumed with the hopelessness of politics, but the hopefulness of Jesus Christ. I want them to see that I'm not counting on a president or a senator or whatever to bring me joy. I'm not counting on whatever new article that they're adding to whatever. I, I'm not counting on that because my peace and my joy is found in what Jesus Christ has already done for me. And it's easy for us as Christians to look around and think like, well, I need to become consumed with that. I need to become consumed with that. Paul could have written this letter to Rome and he said he could have talked about the Roman government. He could have talked about how the, uh, there was wickedness in the world. He could have, but rather he chooses to say, I'm thankful for what Jesus Christ has done in my life and here's what I want him to do in yours. And so I want us to look today at how the power of the gospel gives this desire to Paul. The first thing that I want you to see is that the gospel gives you a desire to pray for others in the gospel. The gospel gives you a desire to pray for others in the gospel. He says this in verse number 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with the Spirit and the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. I've got three very applicational questions that we'll go through very quickly. First of all is who are you thankful for in the gospel? I would dare say that you probably would not be sitting here had someone not made a spiritual impact on you. Maybe it was someone, maybe it was someone in your childhood, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a youth pastor, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a friend. You are here as a result of someone making a spiritual investment and impact in your life. But here's what I want to ask you. When was the last time that you thanked God for that impact? That you were thankful for their investment. And Paul writes, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. As big of an impact as Paul was seeking to have on them, they had had on him. Can you imagine being Paul and rolling into a city? Paul has is, Paul is not made it to this area yet, okay? In fact, many believe that when Paul says he wants to come to Rome, that he's saying, I want to begin a ministry in Spain. He wants to, he's wanting to kind of spread the gospel in that area. And so if you go and you look in the back in your maps, you, Paul hasn't really made it very close to Rome, and yet he's hearing of their faith. 
He's hearing of their Christianity. He's hearing of their impact. And he says, I'm thankful for what you have done. I'm thankful for how your witness is spreading. But then secondly, I want you to see this, is who is rejoicing in your faith? He says that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I wonder today if there's anybody at our place of work, at our place of education, at maybe in our neighborhood or, or maybe with our friendships or relationships or, or whatever, I wonder if there's anybody that is rejoicing in our faith. I wonder today if there's someone that is thankful that you're praying for them. I wonder if there's someone today that they would not be as close to God that they are right now if it were not for you. One of the things that I talk with my wife about sometimes and I talk with other dads about is there's this external pressure as a parent or as a, even as a husband or whatever is that you, you almost feel like you've got to be good at everything. You almost feel like that, well, I've got to teach my son how to fish. I've got to teach my son how to hunt. I've got to teach my son how to play soccer. I've got to teach my son how to build. I've got to teach my son how to do electrical. I've got to teach my son. And to a certain extent, my dad did some of that. But the greatest gift that my dad gave me is not how to sit quietly in a deer stand. It's not how to, how to do some of the remodeling that we've done at our house. The greatest gift that my dad gave me was the faith that is in my life. And sometimes, here's what I want you to, please, please don't miss this because I, I know that many of you are not parents in this room, but my prayer for you is that one of these days you will be, okay? But sometimes we get it mixed up when we think that the most important thing that we can do is teach someone how to budget. That we can teach someone how to hunt. That we can teach someone how to build we can teach someone any, any extra, any additional things. I saw a meme the other day, uh, and it was one of those little conversation memes, and it said, uh, uh, flight attendant, is there a doctor on board? We need a doctor. This person needs a doctor. And it said, my dad's sitting in the seat next to me. And he said, please notice that they're not asking for a graphic designer. Please, and then he, he went down as like another quote bubble. And it says, Dad, shut up. This is serious. This is an emergency. And it was like another little quote bubble. And it said, maybe you can go and save him as a PDF and that will help him. All right. There's this, there's this desire where it's like, well, not only do I need to know how to do all the computer things, but I also need to know how to do first aid. And I also need, and please watch this. If you give a child or a friend or a spouse and you teach them all of these extra things and yet they do not rejoice in the faith that you have, that is a spiritual failure. Okay? I would rather Braxton Michael Norris and Baylor Michelle Norris and Blakely Monroe Norris, who, by the way, it's her birthday today, so if you see her, she'll probably say, it birthday, it birthday, and then you say, how old are you? And she say, I too. All right, that's all she's got down, okay? But, but I would rather all of them know how to walk with God than do all of the things that the world tells them that they need to know. And Paul, as he writes to them, he says, I'm rejoicing in your faith because it's being spoken of around the world. And then the last thing I want to ask you is, who are you praying for constantly? He says, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always 
in my prayers, that I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul is telling them, he says, I'm constantly praying for you. And here's what I want to close this thought with, okay? Is that when the gospel comes in and changes our life, it gives us a desire to pray for those around us. But not only does it do that, but secondly, the gospel gives you a desire to be with others in the gospel. The gospel gives you a desire to be with others in the gospel. You see this show up in verses 10 through 13. He says, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. When your desires change, you begin to have a others-minded perspective. You begin to see others as an opportunity for God to grow in them the same way that he is growing in you. And so he says, here's a couple of the desires that show up in these first verses. First of all, you'll see a desire for God's will. A desire for God's will. Do you want to know one of the greatest things that I pray for you in this class is that you would find God's will for your life? I think that many times the conversations that I've had with most of you boils down to God's will. Sometimes it may look like it's dating counsel. Sometimes it may look like it's job counsel. Sometimes it may look like it's relationship trouble. Sometimes it may mask itself as something different. But at the end of the day, it boils down to God's will. And right now, as a young adult, many of you are still seeking God's will. You're seeking God's will in relationships. You're seeking God's will in friendships. You're seeking God's will in careers and living locations and many other things. But please watch this. It would be selfish of me to counsel you and to lead you to something that I want for you that God may not want for you. I have a desire that every single one of you stay in this class and that you never move away. I think that is not God. I'm just kidding. Okay. But many of you have come to me and, hey, I've got a job opportunity at XYZ. Would you please pray for me? What, what do I need to be thinking about? What do I need to be praying about? Hey, I'm dating and I'm talking to this person and they live in Aruba, okay? If you find someone who lives in Aruba and you date them, it is God's will that you get married and uh, I get to do your wedding and come to Aruba, all right? Just kidding. But, if, but you're constantly thinking about, okay, is this God's will? What, what's next? And the desire for you should be God's will. The desire for others should be God's will. Sometimes I have to hear things that, that my, my flesh does not like. Someone says, hey, you know what? We're getting ready to move away. We're, okay, in my mind, I'm, I don't want to see that person go, but please watch this. My desire for them has to be God's will. And if they've prayed about it and God has opened doors and he's closed doors and he's, he's pushed them away from here and he's given them a heart for where they're going, then that is God's will for their life. And it's not my job to change that. It's my job to desire that for them. And Paul says, I want to come to you, but God's will hasn't worked it out yet. And so I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait here until it is God's will. But then secondly, there should be a desire to invest and give. He says that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. 
that I may invest in something in you and give you something that you can hold tangibly, spiritually. But then secondly, there is a desire to establish. A desire to establish. He says this at the end of verse number 11. He says that the spiritual gift that he gives them to the end that you may be established. You should not desire to give those around you in the gospel a feeling of instability, but rather stability. And sometimes the way that we manipulate conversations and the way that we selfishly come in and see things, maybe it's even in a dating relationship, okay? Please listen to this. Your desire in a dating relationship as a child of God should should be to bring stability, not instability. Your desire should be as you go to your place of work is to bring a level of stability, not instability. The Bible talks about being tossed to and fro with the winds of doctrines. We as Christians should plant our roots down deep. Colossians 2 verses 6 and 7 talks about how as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and grounded. Let your roots sink down deep, so be established, and then a desire to strengthen. He says this in verse number 12. He says that I may be comforted together. That's not talking about a comfort like sit on a couch. It's talking about being strengthened, that you come together for a cause. And he says this, that you are comforted together by the mutual faith that you both have. I can't, I'm not a people person. I've told you guys that before, okay? I, I'm, I'm an introvert that gets paid to be an extrovert, okay? I would... I would much rather go and hide in a corner um, when we go to church on vacation and I see someone walking toward me to be friendly. Like, I'm just like, please, just let me go to church and not talk, okay? Like, just once, okay? And so I, I, I'm very introverted, okay? I don't, when, you stand up, when I stand up here and I, I crack, I've told you about how I, I shook the person's hand and said, how, okay, rather than how are you doing or hi, okay? Like, I, I'm just, I'm socially awkward. I, I don't like to, I don't necessarily like to talk, but I forced myself to do it. You know what? Every single time that I've pushed myself into a, an arena or an event where I'm like, you know what? It's just I, I, I got to do it. Like these are Christian people. I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to be happy about it. I'm not going to be a grouch. I'm not going to be grumpy. Every single time I've walked away encouraged. It's because there is a mutual faith that is there to strengthen. But then lastly, there should also be a desire to bear fruit, a desire to bear fruit. He says that he wants to have fruit among them as he did among other Gentiles. Wouldn't it be great that if Crosspoint, when we got together, that there were people who became more fruitful as a result of spending time in this place, as a result of spending time with each of you, that that caused you to grow more adequately? But then the last thing that I want you to see is this, is that the gospel gives you a desire to go to others with the gospel. The gospel gives you a desire to go to others with the gospel. Give me one minute and we'll be done. He says in verse number 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. I want you to quickly look at these five five things that you can do, that you can be, that will help you go to others with the gospel. First of all, be the debtor. Be the debtor. If you've received some sort of physical help from a doctor, 
if you've received some sort of help from someone that, that is maybe coming and helping you work on your home or work on your apartment, how many of you have ever heard someone say, like, if you walk out the door and you're like, hey, what can I do to help you guys? What, like, maybe it's a, a chiropractor or maybe it's what, and they say, the best gift that you can give us, is normally have these little cards printed up too, the best gift you can give us is tell other people about us. Share a five-star review, okay? Tell someone about how good we are. And it's because... They know that a first-hand testimony is important to them receiving more customers. And please watch this. The best commercial for the gospel of Jesus Christ is a changed life. And you owe a debt that if you have received the goodness of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a debt that you can share now with someone else. Come and meet my Jesus. Come, come and learn about how good he is. Come, and, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He gives you rest for your weary souls. Come and find out about Jesus Christ. The first church and the gospel went forward because people owed a debt. They didn't see it as something, well, well, now I've got the gospel, so I've got liberty to do whatever I want. That's the way that we handle it in 2023. But what they saw it as was, no, I've got the gospel and now it is my job to go and tell someone else about it. So be the debtor. Secondly, be consumed. I don't have as much time as I want to for this, but he says, so as much as in me is. I believe that if we were to poke Paul, that the gospel would come out. And for many of us, when we get poked, Tennessee Vol football comes out. When we get poked, our job comes out or, or our relationships come out or, or our whatever, our finances come out. When we get shaken, what, comes, what is on top comes out. What is deep down is inside of us begins to bleed out. And Paul says this, when I get poked, as much as in me is, meaning this, I'm passionate, I'm consumed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, or thirdly, not only be consumed and be the debtor, but be ready. He says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. I wonder how many of us could say, I'm ready to preach the gospel to whoever at Nissan. I'm ready to preach the gospel to whoever at Motlow or at Middle Tennessee State. Or I'm ready. I'm ready. And that comes as a result of being consumed. But then fourthly, be unashamed. Be unashamed, he says, for I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice this. For many of us, we assume that the reason why there is shame associated with the gospel is because it's coming from us. If the good news of the gospel is coming from you, it's something to be ashamed about. But the only way that we can be unashamed is because we carry the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, meaning this, that it comes from God. That's something that you can walk boldly with. How many of you have ever got, you got to be a, a student, like a, a teacher's assistant or something in school and you got to take a note to, the, to another teacher, all right? You didn't carry any shame in that, right? You got to knock on that door and barge in because why? I'm carrying a note from another teacher. If it was just that you drew something like, I want to take it to Miss So-and-so at third grade, all right? Then the teacher's going to be like, why, why are you, so go sit down, right? But the power of who the message comes from is what gives you the authority to go without shame. But then lastly, is act in faith. Act in faith. Be acting in faith. I want to close with just this thought, and we'll be done. Okay? Sorry, that was way longer than one minute. Okay? 
If the gospel truly changes our desires this week, what do you desire out of your week? Do you desire to share the gospel with someone? Do you desire to tell someone else about Jesus? Do you desire to even really see or pray about, pray for someone? And here's what I can promise you is that a lot of times the reason why we don't change the desires in our hearts with the gospel is simply because we're too selfish. And one of the things, you can take all those sub points, you can take all those main points, and you can boil it down to one thing, and that is this, is that the gospel takes your mind off of you and puts it on someone else. And the way that that happens is that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. And so as you leave today, these are on the back. We've had these for a couple of months now, and um, these are invitations to Crosspoint. Grab a gospel track down in the hallway. Here's what I want you to do this week. Find one person that you can give this to. Maybe it's a McDonald's worker. Maybe it's a Starbucks worker. Maybe it's someone else. But find one person you can give these to and begin to develop a desire for others around you. Let's pray. Well, thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Crosspoint Podcast. Remember to take a moment to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and tell others about this content. Remember, we would love to have you be our guest in person this Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can connect with us online at frbc.com and we look forward to seeing you again soon.